we'll finish the book of Micah today and take up Nahum uh, next week. Nahum is one of the uh, only books besides Obadiah that not, is not written to Israel, but uh, against uh, Nineveh. And I would like to read before we uh, study uh, Micah chapter 7, uh, 11 through 20. A day for building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in the forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. They shall, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn and dread to the Lord our God. And they shall be in the fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers uh, from days of old. Just a, a beautiful passage to end the prophecy. But in uh, verses uh, 11 and following, we see the messianic kingdom uh, expanded. There are uh, cycles of condemnation, judgment, and doom, but also this anticipation uh, of a great future. You'll notice that familiar uh, words that only God can control he says there will be a day uh, or in that day. Uh, God's the one that controls that. We've seen that uh, before. Uh, that day is under his control. And there are days that are characterized by expansion and pilgrimage. Israel expands through the Messianic gospel age. And that's uh, spiritually, not physically. Isaiah uh, 11 uh, speaks of that. I think for the sake of time, uh, I'll skip it. But uh, he says people are going to come from Egypt and these other places just like Micah. And uh, one of my favorite uh, verses is in Acts 11, verse 20. Uh, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. So the, the church was persecuted, but it began to expand. Cyprus is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Cyrene is northern Africa. The, these men came to preach the gospel to other people. They went to Antioch to preach the gospel to other people. That is, that is what happened. They came from everywhere. Not to, not to take a land. The, the, the exposition of Isaiah 11 I've heard is that the first this highway has to be built so that people could go back and forth. Well, people didn't need highways. In Acts chapter 2, there was like 14 or 15 nations represented. They got there without some big road being built. 
people from Cyrene, the northern Africa, went to Antioch to talk to other people, and they were saved. And they sent Barnabas, I believe it was, to go see what's going on in Antioch. And he said, there's people being saved all over the place. And they were first, we were first called Christians in Antioch. You remember that? It's a glorious piece. But I believe it's a, a fulfillment of this prophecy. As the gospel expands, people will come from everywhere. And, and they'll tell others the message of the gospel. We see in verse 13 that the rest of the earth will be desolate. Because safety is only in the gospel. Revelation 22 verse 15 says, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There's, there's always this separation. There'll be a great ingathering in the gospel, but there are still nations that are outside and sinning and under God's law. Then in the context of uh, uh, messianic prosperity comes this plea for the shepherd. Shepherd your people. Just like chapter 5, the shepherd was going to come. He was going to lead everyone. His, his uh, rule, his shepherding would, would cover the entire globe. And there's a picture of prosperity and safety and peace, just like chapter 5. Flock of God's inheritance garden land, fruitful land, in the midst of Carmel. Carmel was a mountainous region in north, but uh, all indication is it was just a, a beautiful, beautiful place. He mentions Bashan and Gilead. That was in their better days. They, they were just beautiful places, reminders of the prosperity that God gave to his people. And Micah puts that in the mind. When, when, when the shepherd comes it's going to be like those days. It's going to be like when those were fruitful and places of prosperity and plenty. The deliverance will be the mark of uh, the Messiah's uh, shepherding, but especially the deliverance from sin and the world and the devil. It says Yahweh will display marvelous things or miracles. He demonstrates his love and mercy by doing great things. For his people. It mentions the deliverance from Egypt. That was always the earmark. It should always be our earmark. We should be able to look back to Exodus and say, look what God did for them. We should be able to look back to whenever we were saved and say, look what God did for me. Amen. The blood atonement of Christ covers me. The blood atonement smeared on a lintel of the door covered them. But God has always been a saving and redeeming, powerful God for his people. There's this physical rejection, reaction of the, of the nations. God does his mighty works and what happens? In, in Exodus, Egypt was completely humbled and put down and, and defeated and destroyed, you might say. Notice what Micah says. The nations will be ashamed of their might. They'll lay their hand on the mouth. It's a picture that we've seen before in the prophets. Don't say anything. Remember the picture, ten, 10 people are in the house, they're, they're dead. And the guy walks in and says, are you the only one left? He says, yeah, don't say anything. Don't say anything because God is, is here. In another place, it, it told us specifically, put your hand on your mouth, don't say anything in the presence of Yahweh. Their ears are going to be de deaf. They're going to lick dust and be like crawling things. They'll be trembling in their strongholds. 
I remember, uh, I believe it was Amos started with strongholds, strongholds, strongholds. God's going to come right to your strongest point and, and dismantle it. Uh, they'll turn and dread to Yahweh our God and, and they'll be in fear. That will be uh, their reaction. But then comes this, this question in verse 18. Who is like Yahweh? That, that's a, a definition. That's what Micah's name means. Who is like Yahweh? In a sense, it's a, a word picture, a, a play on words. Who is like Yahweh who pardons iniquity? Well, right away, we, we would say, well, nobody. But Scripture gives us no other option. All the false gods and idols are, are nothing. In Micah's day, most of Israel did not know the, the, the true Yahweh. They, they didn't understand. They, they were off in their own religion, in their own idolatry, in their own ways. But it also shows that the main issue is sin against the living God. In this text, in verse 18 and 19, iniquity is mentioned, transgression is mentioned, iniquities, plural, are mentioned, and sins, plural, are mentioned. If I ask the question, who needs a pardon, you would say a guilty criminal. A pardon, a pardon is the highest form of mercy that can be shown. Because a pardon doesn't say what you did wasn't really wrong. A pardon says you did wrong, but we're pardoning, we're erasing it. Who is a pardoning God like Yahweh? Nobody. But we can't forget that the issue is our sin. Iniquity, transgression, iniquities, sins. That's right in the text. God is the only one that had the laws that were broken. God is the only one who said, if you don't follow my laws, you, you'll be punished. God is the only one we've seen in the prophets who, who is determined to bring forth justice and judgment on the wicked. But who could pardon sins besides him? Who can forgive sin but God alone? The Pharisees even knew it. Sin against God sin against God's law. And then, and then the second phrase, passing over transgressions. That should not be done. If it was that courtroom that we've talked about and we knew that somebody was guilty and they just said, well, we're just gonna, we're just gonna pass over that. We know, we know the guy was a murderer. We know that he robbed a bank and killed people, but we're just going to pass over that. We would say, that's not fair. That's not justice. That's not right. Well, well, I can tell you the good news this morning is God does for us what's not right. He passes over our transgressions out of his love and his mercy. There's, there's no God like that. There's no God with a law. There's no God with judgment. There's no God that could tell sinners you'll be condemned to hell, but he passes over uh, iniquity. We're not punished for every sin. We could ask the question to amplify the issue a, a little bit. How many of my sins 
in my life are counted against me? And you would have to say, well, all of them. All of them would be. There's not, the, right? We're, we're not like, well, that was, a, that, that was my bad time of sinning. And this is, I only did a few little things. People are always doing that. Um, but I'm not as bad as this. How many of all those sins is God obligated to forgive? None. Not obligated. God's pardoning and passing over sin is, is greatly opposite of what we deserve. That's the point. Who is a pardoning God? Guilty sinners. Guilty people. You're pardoned. You're pardoned. You mean I'm free to go? Yes. You're pardoned. Uh, the object of God's activity, it says, is the remnant of his inheritance. Think about God having an inheritance. He's the one who gives to, to everybody, but think of the picture. We'll talk in James, these passages blend together just so beautifully, that God by his will has made us the first fruits of his creation, of the whole creation. And that's what this is. The remnant is an inheritance. It's what, it's what God gets. It, it's after all that's left, it's a portion out of the whole that God keeps for himself. He keeps a people for himself. God told Elijah, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that, do, that has not kissed him. God is the architect of the remnant. It's not, well, these people are good over here and these people aren't so good. No, God is the one that leaves the remnant. God is the one that saves. Romans 11, 20, uh, Romans 11, 5 says it's a remnant chosen by grace. Micah 5, verses 7 and 8 talk about Jacob as a positive term for those who were saved. The, the, the remnant of Jacob, the peace of the whole. So not only pardoning, not only passing over transgressions, but, but for his elect, his, his remnant. Uh, Romans 9, 27 and, and 28, uh, Paul gets to the, uh, to the bottom of it because he says, without God working, what would, be, what would we be like? Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. There would have been nobody left if God didn't show mercy, if God didn't pardon, if God didn't have a remnant. We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah to the last man, to the last woman, to the last child, to the last boy, to the last girl. We would have been wiped out because that's what our sins deserve. Oh, that's harsh talk. No, that's true talk. That's the talk of the scripture. That's what the Bible says. We're condemned. And what we're, gonna, what we're doing today is looking at how great and marvelous and wonderful the grace of God is. Because without him, we have no chance at all. Concerning sin, 
you can't have human power. You can't stop a sin with human power. They've been trying for, for millennia. Oh, we'll have legislation. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. We'll have strict laws. And man sins and sins and sins, and they have no answer. You have to have God's power to take away sin. You have to have God's mercy and grace and kindness to say you're pardoned. And then Micah has some strong affirmations of faith in the rest of verse 18 to 20. Multiple statements, multiple statements, as it were, just get piled up. He does not retain his anger forever. So, so you might say, well, I got what you're talking about, and I think I'm a sinner too. Well, Micah says he doesn't retain his anger forever. Always look for hope. Always look to repent. Always look for a forgiving God. Because it's not capricious. It's not fickle. It's not erratic. Not like we might say, watch out. Dad's on the warpath today. Watch out. Mom's flipping out. God's not like that. He doesn't retain his anger forever. And he doesn't retain his anger forever because his mercy is covenantal. It's backed by his promises, isn't it? Later on, that's what we'll see. He's promised grace. He's promised forgiveness. It's also backed by what he's done in history. All we have to do is, is read the scripture and we can see, well, that guy was pardoned and there's other people that were pardoned and, and there's somebody that's pardoned. How does a prostitute on the wall of Nineveh get pardoned? A prostitute. Oh, she should just be wiped off the face of the earth. And she said, no. We've heard what God has done. Amen. And it put fear in our hearts. And now we know that he could give this city into, into God's hands and nobody could stop it. A prostitute. Covenantal, historic, and personal. Because God's people turned around and said, I know that I'm saved. I know that God saved me. Isaiah 30 verse 19, He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. People knew that God saves sinners. Isaiah 12 verse 1, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. People knew that they were saved. His anger is not forever. It's not capricious, but it's covenantal, it's historic, and it's personal. And by God's grace, we could stand in the presence of each other and say, I know who I believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him to that day. I can know that I'm saved because I heard about Rahab. I heard about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I heard about David, that even though he did what he did, he was forgiven and restored. And I heard about a lot of other people too. Why? Why does he not retain his anger forever? 
and, and these words are these words are beautiful too. He delights in mercy. He delights in loving kindness. He delights in steadfast love. The ESV uses steadfast love, but but the but the idea it's something that sticks to you. He delights to it. Moses said, uh, "Show me who you are." And God poured out words about merciful, poured out words about forgiveness, poured out words about this, poured out words about that. You might say, Art, I want to know a little more about you. Okay, uh, come into my garage. There's my bicycle. I like to go bicycling. And there, oh, those are the fishing poles I like to go with. Uh, uh, that's just then you'll know better who I am. But, but, but when Moses asked God, he, he said, this is who I am. I delight in forgiveness. I delight in mercy. I'm patient. And my patience and mercy goes out to thousands of people, to generations, he said. Steadfast love. Uh, quickly, what God told Moses, this is natural to me. It's abundant in me. It's according to all my will and pleasure. This is what I really want to do. This is what, how I manifest myself to people. And, and Moses is left like we should be left just to think about God's delight in showing mercy and forgiving sin. The answer to what gives God delight, what makes God happy, what makes God blessed is that he loves to forgive sinners of their sins. What, a, what an amazing thing. Calvin has an excellent, excellent application. He says except we be fully persuaded as to his mercy, no true religion will ever flourish in us. Because it's the core of everything. If I'm a forgiven sinner, then what happens? Calvin continues, for what is said in Psalm 130 is ever true. With you is forgiveness that you may be feared. And I say, how in the world could God do that for me? It produces fear. It produces worship. It produces thanks. It produces love. But he's right. If you're not fully persuaded as to God's mercy, no true religion will ever flourish. It might be crippled, but it won't flourish. We live in the light of his forgiveness. We live in the light of uh, pardon. He will again have compassion on us. This is the hope. This is, the, this is what we've been studying for all these weeks. This is the cycle of the prophets. Unbelievers don't have this hope. But God hears the cry of the penitent and, and draws them near. Then there's another picture, a, a battle picture, a conquering picture. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. It's another assertion. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. The first promise in the scriptures, you'll bruise his head, he'll bruise your heel. That's what happened. Jesus put his foot on the head of the devil and all the devil could do is bite at his heel. That's all. But it crushed him. Of all of Christ's enemies, there's four passages that say that in the end, God will make all of Christ's enemies like a footstool for his feet. 
uh, that's what's going to happen. But here, but here, in God's power, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Remember in, in Micah two times, he came down to tread on the high places of the earth. The, the picture of God moving two times. Here's the third time. He tread our iniquities underfoot. As, as if they were a conquered foe. Get rid of him. Show your domination over him. Show that you've conquered those iniquities. Show that you've conquered those sins. That's, that's the picture. In God's power, all of our iniquities will be conquered and defeated. And then, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The, the, this is personal. Here, it's all our sins. What mercy. And remember, how many sins was he obligated to forgive? None. How many sins do I have against me? All of them. But now this says, all of our sins. God forgives more of our sins than we forgive ourselves. I'm sure of that. We live and they, they hang on us, don't they? they? They cripple us. They hold us down. And if, like Calvin says, we, we want religion to, true religion to flourish and worship and love and thanks, we got to get rid of those because God did already. I think, I, I think I've mentioned this illustration before. Oh, no, we're getting to two passages. But the, the depths of the sea picture can remind us of two other pictures of sin being dealt with. The first one is, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 and verse 12. Well, how far is the east from the west? All right, we will call up a surveying crew and try to find out. Uh, I, I just want you to come out by my house and measure how far the east is from the west. Sir, we can't do that. How far are your sins from you? How far have they been dealt with? How far have God, has God thrown them away from you? Next picture. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You know what kind of sin we have? We have crime scene sin. We have crime scene blood. Do you ever see that? Those forensic shows? The, 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 people, the people commit the crime and then they scrub the rugs and they get the blood spatter off here and they do this, do that. And then the scientific forensic team comes in with some little light or some chemical and they say there's evidence of blood on the carpet. There's evidence of blood on the couch. There's evidence of blood spatter on the wall. How? You can't even see it. Brethren, we have crime scene blood. That's our sins. Crime scene blood that we could, we could talk about, we could explain away, blah, blah, blah. No. That God's light comes and you'll see it as clear as day. There's 50 spatters of blood sins, of my sins on that wall. You know, well, I tried to scrub them all away. You can't scrub them all away. East, west. And red, scarlet, red cloth. Gene and I talk about our wash. It just doesn't come out the way I want it to come out sometimes. 
you probably have the same thing. I can't get this out. That's the kind of sins that we have. And God says, I'll make your sins so white they'll be like snow. I'll make them so white they're like wool, the purest whites that you could think of compared with the darkest reds that you could think of. Thrown into the depths of the sea. Uh, there's a place in the, in the earth uh, called the Marianas Trench. And the Marianas Trench is over 36,000 feet deep. 36,000 feet of ocean is above the bottom of that trench. If you take a plane trip to California, the, the guy might say, we're flying at 35,000 feet. And you would still be 1,000 feet shy of the Marianas Trench, 35,000 feet below the Earth. One scientific site that I looked at, they reminded us that you could take Mount Everest and put it in the Marianas Trench, and there would still be over a mile of water on top of Mount Everest. How far are our sins gone? How far has God dealt with them and thrown them away? The little illustration I've used in the past is, is, is our, our trip to the beach where Jean got wiped out by a wave and lost her glasses. And we looked and looked and looked and looked and couldn't find them. Well, there's glasses back at the, at the condo and let's go eat. Glasses get back at the condo, let's go eat. Two hours later, we come back to the beach. We love the beach. There's the glasses sitting there on the shore. Hardly damaged, the little sunglass thing still attached. Well, how about that? Got my glasses back. It's a miracle. But what if we were on a cruise? And Jean leaned over, and there they go. Glasses overboard. Stop the ship. <laughs> Don't. Don't look on the beach of life for your sins. Don't. You know where they are? The second they fell off into the ocean from the cruise, you knew those glasses are gone. They're gone forever. They're gone for good. And if you were over the Marianas Trench, they wouldn't stop till they were 36,000 feet underwater. He has cast a few of our sins. No, all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You, you see what Calvin says. You see, you, you see the pressure right in your soul, don't you? Don't you feel it? Don't, don't you see it? You just say, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Those sins are gone. They'll never come back. They're pardoned. They're forgotten. They're stepped on like a, a conqueror, and they're thrown in the sea. Do I need any more pictures? Do, is there any more things I could put in my mind to let me know that all your sins are forgiven by God who requires them all of everybody and the correct justice on all of them. And then comes the light of the cross, doesn't it? And you say, how could he? How could he pay that price? How could he take them all? How could his blood get rid of every single one? And you just say, praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh, and you fall down and worship. 
I understand the emotion that you're seeing that I have, but I don't think it's over dramatic. I don't think that it's, it's less glorious than I'm trying to, to, to put out there. Then he says, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. Then here is covenant mercies. The, the faithfulness to Jacob is spiritual faithfulness based on promises and based on who Jacob was. He saw who God was. He knew who God was. And one day he said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. One of the, one of the most amazing pictures in, 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 in the history of the scriptures. You talk about his historical dealings with individual people, we could meditate on Jacob and that incident over and over again. Wrestled, wouldn't let go until God said, well, physically, I'm going to have to cripple you because you, you're after me like, like this. That's Jacob. That's the good Jacob. That's the Jacob we should follow and emulate. Oh, he lied. He was dishonest. No, he wrestled with God until he got a blessing. He had the tenacity to do that because, because one day he, he laid down and he saw that Bethel and he said, this is the, this is the pathway to heaven. God, this is God's house. I didn't know it. I sat down and I put a rock under my head to take a nap, to sleep. And I ended up seeing a stairway. That's amazing. This is God's house. Moses said the same thing. What's that bush over there? How come it's burning and nothing's happening? The, oh, the because the place where you are is on holy ground? I didn't know that. But it's because of God's revelation. It's, it's because of what he said he was going to do for his people. It's because of what he taught Jacob. He'll show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. Steadfast love to Abraham? How does he show steadfast love to Abraham? Abraham's dead. Well, no, he's not really, according to Christ. No, he, he, God isn't a God of the dead people. But if you understand... If you understand the covenant, everybody that's saved, everybody that's saved in history fulfills the steadfast love to Abraham. Because what did he tell him? What did he tell him? Go look at the stars. Can you count them? Look at the sand of the sea. Every person that's saved goes right back to that. There's another one. There's another salvation. There's another person saved. There's another person saved. Pick up a handful of sand. How many? Two, three, four. It's going to take you a while. Everything is plugged into God's mercy and his steadfast love and his promises. He, he pledged. He pledged a seed. He pledged forgiveness. He pledged mercy. And... And we're in the day when Christ's kingdom and the fulfillment of all these prophecies is just continuing. And every person that's saved fulfills those, fulfills those promises. And, it, and, and Micah just wraps it up. As you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You remember the study in Hebrews. Two, two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath. God gave a promise and he gave an oath. He, he gave both because we're liable to think, well, 
It was only a promise, but he backed it with an oath, so we would be sure. And, and Hebrews goes on to say, by those two immutable things, you have an anchor of your soul. And that's what Mike is saying, as he sworn to our fathers from the days of old, there's my anchor. Because when did that happen? 4,000 years ago? Five, six? Well, I don't know. You know. Historians say this or that or this. How long has God been fulfilling the promises that we're talking about today? I'm not looking for a date. I'm just wanting you to think about it. I didn't expect anybody to say, well, 6,352 years. <laughs> but it's something like that, isn't it? Thousands of years. And they're, ju they're just ticked off. Then he raised up this person. Then he raised up that person. Then he raised up this person. Then he raised up that person. As you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. I'm just going to close by, by reading it over again. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name and worship you. We're thankful for these pictures. So, so easy for us to understand. Lord, we're, we're thankful uh, for that. We're thankful that in many, many places your word is absolutely clear. Heavenly Father, help us to live in the freedom of pardoned sins. Help us to live in the freedom of conquered sins. Help us to live in the freedom of those sins that you promised would be taken care of uh, thousands of years ago. And the bottom line is help us to be thankful and worship the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the price for all those sins. We're thankful, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.